Heart. You gotta have heart. Miles and miles of heart. What is heart? Heart is running through a return man when the game is on the line. Heart is giving everything you have in practice, day after day. Heart is finding the strength to run down the field one more time when you can barely breathe. The heart in me pumps Husker Red. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of the Five Heart Podcast brought to you by CornNation.com, part of SB Nation and over 300 different unique SB Nation uh, athletic sites covering college, professional, and more. There's even, yes, there's even a pro wrestling SB Nation site and uh, also, of course, uh, hosted on JitteryMonkey.com. I should lead with that so that I can... uh, go longer embellish not embellishing but uh expanding on on the goodness of sb nation uh, and why would you ever want to leave sb nation i wouldn't uh but that's just me my name is greg mahachko i'm joined as always by hoss reuter and hoss uh, did you know that there is an sb nation site that covers pro wrestling i did not that's news to me so i'm gonna pull it up here courtesy of uh, my google machine yeah, so you want to go to... Well, that didn't tell me anything. I want to say it was like, you know, ringside or... or I don't know. Something like that. It, I, I'm not selling this very well. Um, SBNation.com slash wrestling will give you some information. But there is actually a dedicated site for pro wrestling. I'm not making it up. Although now it kind of sounds like I am. So let's move forward. Um... The last few episodes, Hoss, we've recorded much earlier, uh, and and by that I mean much sooner after uh, you know the the clock strikes uh, zero on the Huskers game, uh, the Minnesota game. I think we recorded uh, the night after, you know, later that night, and then the uh, Penn State game, or maybe vice versa. I think Minnesota was uh, the the next day, and then Penn State yep. was the night after. Uh, but now, because of the holiday weekend and everything else going on, uh, it's been almost a week since the. Uh, I don't want to talk about it. We got to talk about it. It's like the game that should not be named. You know, it's the Voldemort of of uh, the Husker football season for any Harry Potter nerds out there. Um, Iowa comes in, and we didn't look any better against Iowa than we did against Ohio State, and that is not good. Nope. Um, I wish I could just erase the Iowa game from my memory, but it's not possible. I'm it ki- happened. I'm kind of surprised you didn't drink the pain away. Uh, you know, I stayed up. I stayed up that night until about eleven, just you know, drinking some beers and you know, watching other college football games and just. Kind of contemplating the true meaning of life after you get beat by <laughs> Iowa for the third year in a row, and they rack up 500 yards and hang a 50 burger on you. So it was. I was very pensive that night. Did you? But before we get to the heartache, did you have a good Thanksgiving? Uh, I did. You know, it was nice and uh, nice and relaxing, and just kind of you know enjoyed the day. Watch that. Lions Vikings game that just never quite would end. It felt like, um, 
I watched the same game and had Friday the same feeling. shopping for the first time in my life. Uh, Thursday night at the Nebraska Crossing Outlet Mall. So do not recommend. I was going to say let's let's talk about that uh, because it was a Black Friday for Husker fans for another reason. Um, but it you know and it's been Black Friday had that moniker for well over 15 years now because it's the day you know that the stores traditionally look to you know get their uh, accounts in the black however i will never go near a store on black friday and and by that i mean i i should quantify that statement uh or qualify i guess um i'll never go to a best buy target walmart any of the big box stores, um, you know, a mall. I'll never go near a mall. Um, I Several years ago, on Thanksgiving, my wife and I were coming back from my grandma's house where we had done th- uh, my family's Thanksgiving, uh, and we stopped at a Walmart again Thanksgiving night about 5.15. We didn't want to do any Black Friday shopping. We just needed a gallon of milk, and Walmart was on the way home, so we said hell with it. The grocery store is closed. Let's just run in here real quick. And by this point, Walmart had already started, like, you know, all the TVs weren't just in the electronic section. They had them on pallets and, you know, people lining up and weaving in and out of the grocery aisle. And and I'm like, I just need a gallon of milk. Don't give me the stink eye because you think I'm cutting in front of you when literally I'm going to reach between you and the person in front of you, grab the gallon of milk, and walk out pay and walk out specify and it's just people lose their minds on black friday i don't understand it there is no discount in the world big enough for me to for me to like deal with that amount of people uh i don't well, we went to the outlet mall on a thursday night my uh, mom my sister and myself, you know, we didn't. I didn't have anything else to do. They were gone. I thought, why not? It took us ninety, almost ninety minutes to get a parking spot. It was that packed. And once we were there, I went into the Adidas store, for example. Saw something that was pretty, a hat that was pretty cool. I wanted to buy. And I turn around, and the line goes from the counter all the way back to where the shoes are, all the way back to the other wall, then all the way back up to the front. Wow. Snaked around like that. I mean, it was a cool hat, but I didn't want it that badly. So I just sat it down, walked away, (laughs) went and bought a pair of jeans at another store, walked into the Under Armour store, saw the line, walked right back out again. And then so I was just kind of walking around. It was really like, like being in an amusement park. It's like being at Disney World or Universal Studios, you know. It's just the people watching was magnificent, by the way. Um, I I saw an Iowa family in Canadian tuxedos and dad (laughs) had a mullet. I mean, it was just fantastic. And at that um, point, you're not even sure. Never again. You're just assuming that they're uh, Iowa family. I mean, they probably didn't have any. No, they, their dad had like a uh, leather Iowa jacket. looked like one of those Sports Illustrated jackets from back in the 90s. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, he's wearing, he's wearing an Iowa jacket that looked like that. And I was just like, this is, I, I mean, I wish I could have gotten a picture. I really, I really do. Well, for me, and, and I don't know, maybe this is, you know, something to do with my generation. 
you know, something like that. But like, I will happily. It's also why, you know, nine times out of ten, if I have the opportunity to go to a movie, I'm buying my tickets online, so I don't have to wait in line. Mm-hmm. And I pay that convenience charge. I would much rather, you know, I'll pay a, a little bit extra to not have to deal with people, which is a really horrible thing to say. And maybe that's why I didn't, you know, make it in the car sales business. Uh, because, you know, that's that's a people industry. But it's, I just don't, I, I don't have the patience. And, and I don't know, maybe I said it last week on the show, either with you or with Ty. I don't remember everything of last week's show. Folks, if you remember everything of last week's show, you're a better person than I. Because that's almost three hours of content. And I was up until 3 o'clock Thanksgiving morning you know getting everything ready so that it, it, that was ready to go you know for everybody first thing in the morning um i just i maybe i said it at the time but I, me and black friday would probably end up with me getting arrested because i'm going to throw a shoulder i'm going to knock somebody down albeit on purpose or on accident it doesn't matter i know that with the tensions mounted as they are in, in such a you know high stress situation that everything is going to be misinterpreted but there's a chance that I'll you know give somebody a dirty look and you know maybe throw a shoulder to somebody else uh, it's not going to end well for me so like every other situation that I I'm just going to avoid it if I can and we won't have a problem well said that's Thank pretty you. much the best way to avoid black friday just by avoiding it altogether. Yes, and and a lot of stores now are, are getting wise. I don't shop at Walmart, but my job takes me to several WalMarts, uh, you know, for delivery purposes. And and uh, you know now you can do your Black Friday shopping online again. Why would I deal with people when I can shop in my Husker pajama pants? You know, I mean it's. I don't know. Like I said, I just don't like... I'm I'm not in it for that adrenaline rush. Um, I'll drink coffee, and I'll sit at home, and I'll watch TV with my son and be perfectly happy. Actually, on a Friday morning, I went swimming uh, with uh, my friends who were in town. They were staying at a hotel, and they said, Hey, you want to bring your son over to go to the pool? I said, Sure. And then we went to the zoo. That's how I spent most of my Black Friday until we got home and uh, ordered some pizzas, and I turned on the Nebraska-Iowa game. See, folks, everything comes back full circle. We were going to get there. Um, And I had it on DVR, so I got a late start on it. Uh, But at the same time, it's like, hey, all right, not doing too bad. We're in this thing. And then halftime hit, and the wheels fell off. Mm -hmm. Where do you think, is there a, a particular moment in the game where you think that all chances that Nebraska had of winning went away? Yeah, it's when uh, we were up 14-7 to and Tony Butler ran into Iowa's punter. And after that, Iowa went down and scored, tied up before the half. And then coming out of the half, just um, – I don't know of an adjective really that describes – describes the uh, third quarter the opening six minutes of the third quarter because that was as ugly of a sequence in Nebraska football that I've ever seen I mean it's on par with the interceptions thrown you know 
consecutively against Texas Tech in 04. We lost 70 to 10. Um, we just got mauled. Can, can I offer another option as far as when when things started to go south? Mm-hmm. The uh, fake field goal. Yeah. That would, I mean, you have an opportunity to go, you know, to take a lead, and, and Drew Brown's got the wind and a good leg. I would have kicked it, and, and I'm sitting there, and I'm watching with non-Nebraska fans. You know, impartial third parties, they're just watching because, you know, they like football, and they know that I'm a Husker fan, and, and uh, so they weren't kicking me while I was down or anything like that. But they said, you know, you had, guys had an opportunity, really, because everything started poorly with the, you know, kickoff, opening kickoff return for a touchdown. Uh, as you mentioned, there was the uh, running into the kicker that, that gave them new life. He's he, My buddy says, you guys should be up 17 nothing at the half. I said, I know. I can't do anything about it except get another beer from the fridge. That's pretty much it. I. That was such a, I don't know, it almost seems like that first half, and I, I hate using this word because it's almost a cliche now, but, but that first half against Iowa was like a microcosm of football at Nebraska under Mike Riley. Some things yeah, it kind of had, had everything, didn't it? I mean, some things went well, but a lot of things went bad, and at the, at, at, at the end of it, you were right back where you started. No better, no worse. I mean, because it was 14 all at half, and, you know, that's, that's even – and Mike Riley went nineteen and nineteen at Nebraska. It just seemed, I don't know. That that was, if you if you took that half and spread it over three years, that's the last three years in Nebraska football. Well, the thing that got me about that fake field goal was one that play design that shovel pass to the wing player Luke McNitt in this case. Um, Seattle tried running that against Atlanta. Uh, on Monday Night Football, the three, four days before the mm-hmm. Nebraska-Iowa game. Same result happened. Uh, Seattle didn't get that. The DN, you know, the force player on the field goal unit blocked, and, you know, the play got blown up. Same thing happened, you know, in our game. I don't disagree with going, you know, trying to convert a first down there, but if you're going to go for it, if your plan is to pick up the first down or, you know, score the touchdown there in that situation – Put your offense out on the field. Yeah. Put your best playmakers out there on the field. Otherwise, just take the points. And, I mean, I love fake field goals. Don't get me wrong. But that was one of those moments where it's just like Lee's throwing the ball pretty well. They're not stopping Stan. You know, they, they can't cover him. Just put your offense out there on the field. That's your best shot, you know, to convert it. Not a fake field goal. Not and, in that situation. And if I if I may – with the way that Drew Brown has played his senior year of football at Nebraska, I mean, the guy made some unbelievable touchdown-saving tackles in special teams. I would have just it, – it, and again, I'm not, not you know, play-calling, anything like that, but he's already kind of in motion going towards the end zone. Why not, you know, do like one of those over-the-shoulder pitches to him and let him use his momentum and a little bit of speed that he's got and just try to get to the edge and get the first down that way rather than you know going into 
the pack, and I didn't rewatch the game. I don't think anybody should. Um, I haven't either. So we're all in good company here. Flush it and move on. But you know, I don't know how open that things were on that side of the field. But he's already got the momentum coming. He's already moving forward. It just seemed like a little shuffle pass was not the best play. And well, like you said, go for it on fourth, but with the best personnel. You know, you bring up Drew Brown a little, you know, over over the shoulder, you know, a little flip. From the camera angle that that play was broadcast on, is that all 22 ends on view. I initially was looking at Drew Brown, and I saw him run behind, you know, Darlington on that. And I thought it was that play, you know, for the fake field goal. And it wasn't until they showed, you know, the camera kind of zoomed back in towards the right side of the play. The offense is left, but the right from, you know, our vantage point from the broadcast that I saw it was the shovel pass and they showed the replay from the reverse angle and it probably would have been open, you know, going back over to the field rather than the boundary or, you know, Zach Darlington's athletic enough. Why not just, you know, do the old, the holder just picks up the ball and runs, you know? Sure. Um, I love shovel passes, so I'm struggling to, you know, reconcile my <laughs> hatred of going there with a shovel pass to, you know, a fullback or a tight end. Like it was like, I'm, I'm conflicted, but ultimately it didn't work, so I, I hate it, you know. Right. Uh, but, at, yeah, after that, because, I mean, you get a chance to go up 17-4. Or, no, that would have been 17-7 right there. And then, you know, you give up. Following that, you get a stop. Tony Butler runs into the punter. They get an automatic first down. They go down the field, I mean, including with Akram Wadley fumbling the ball and then, you know, Iowa, another guy for Iowa being Johnny on the spot right there to pick it up. Um, that was just where you could tell it was going to, you know, head south from there. And really, the very first play of the game with the strip sack that got called back, you know, on review, right then and there is just like, not again. Right. Yeah, kidding me. And, you know, ultimately it gets wiped off the board, but just kind of the, uh, the karmic implication is already there. I guess, you know, some uh, the silver lining going forward is we know that it's going to be probably 10 years until Iowa beats Nebraska again. I mean. Damn right. Damn right. I mean, there, there's no there's no arguments coming from, you know, at least from this fan base. Um, but let's talk about it. I, I don't really want to dwell too much on, on Iowa because I feel like I've given Iowa too many brain cells as it is. And Wait a minute, did you say 10 years before Iowa beats us again? Was that too few years? No, no, no. Was that what you said? Because I, I, I said damn right because I was like, yeah, they're not going to beat us again. And then I started thinking, I was like, Wait a minute, did he just say that we're not going to beat Iowa for a while? You know, I started out thinking myself there. No, 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 I I, I believe, and I'm not going to go back and double-check it in post if I was wrong, but I think I said it's going to be at least 10 years until Iowa beats Nebraska again. Well, to emphasize it, damn right. <laughs> uh, but like I said, I the, the best thing to come out of Iowa uh, was the music man. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm not as... I like I-80 West. <laughs> I'm not ashamed to say I like a little musical theater from time to time, and the Music Man's all right. But they also kind of make fun of Iowa, and that's okay, too. Uh, th- all that being said, 
that was Friday, and in Friday's post-game press conference, Mike Riley kind of doubled down uh, and said he, you know, firmly believes he's the best candidate to or the best person to lead uh, this group of men, young men, forward and and to rebuild things here at Nebraska. Uh, we had video on Twitter of of uh, Mike Riley walking into uh, Memorial Stadium or, or the football offices, whatever, Saturday morning. And he said, hi, guys. I don't have any news. You know, he was he was going to approach it from the, we're going to watch some game film. We're going to, I don't know if they have end-of-the-season meetings, things like that. Anyway, it wasn't much longer. Uh, you know, the word came out that uh, Bill Moose, Nebraska Athletic Director, had dismissed. I don't Here's the thing. My respect, and, and this is not universally shared among Nebraska fans because I think Nebraska fans, a lot of them just see, uh, you know, coaches in wins and losses and perhaps not the individual himself or herself if it's, uh, you know, someone else. But I have nothing but respect for Mike Riley. Um, classy all the way through, I think, is is a should be everybody's takeaway of the man uh didn't work out for him at nebraska and that's you know uh, unfortunate not just for him but you know for the program the fans i don't think any fan three years ago said i sure hope mike riley fails that'll really show him they should have never gotten rid of Bo or you know whatever um but and and look at the comments there are people who say that um that all that being said, classy guy all the way. Um, just perhaps wasn't the best fit, or maybe in a little bit over his head. I don't know. He was uh, dismissed. That's where I use the word dismissed because I don't want to say fired. Uh, you know, not like Vince McMahon. You're fired. Whatever. Um, give me your thoughts. It was it was expected. All you know, really, ever since. The Northern Illinois loss and Sean Eichhorst firing. That's a guy I don't mind saying was fired. Um, but what what was your takeaway knowing that something like that was probably bound to happen? What, what did you think when, when the hammer finally came down? You know, it was, it was kind of the same thing, you know, mixed emotions from the standpoint of happy that Nebraska football is moving forward because I think we could all agree that we were not moving forward this year, to put it mildly. But also just the respect, you know, ultimately this is a game that you're judged on results, you know, wins and losses, on-the-field performance. But, you know, anytime there's someone as decent of a man as Mike Riley is, and he showed that class, you know, on Saturday, speaking with the media after, you know, he was – you know, relieved of duties by Bill Moose and, you know, being at the basketball game last night against Boston College. Anytime that someone like that gets fired, it's, uh, you feel for him because I, you know, being fired is not fun. No. For for one, you know, I mean, it's got to be among some of the worst feelings, you know, one of the worst feelings out there. Uh, Secondly, it was just one of those things where he represented the university so well. He's a great brand ambassador. Uh, he worked diligently to correct the culture problem in the football program and to you know rebuild the roster 
from the depleted roster that Bo left behind. So it's, um, you know, he's done some good things here. Ultimately, it didn't translate over to on-the-field performance where he's ultimately judged. Because of that, I'll say I think history ends up being much kinder to Mike Riley 10 years from now than how people feel towards him right now. Um, I think 10 years from now, you know, you'll kind of history will show, hey, he brought in some good athletes. He restocked the cupboard. You know, he rebuilt the culture. But like I said, the on-field performance was lacking, but he set the table for, well, Scott Frost to come in and uh, take over from Speculatively. Speculatively, yes. And it's important. We don't know exactly. The the beauty of podcasts is we're going to publish this Friday morning. We don't know when you're going to listen to it. You might be listening to it on Sunday when an announcement has been made. But as of this recording, we don't know. All that we know is that our interim football, head football coach, is Trent Bray. And that I guess the, the... other side of that is at least what we think we know is that most of the other assistants were also dismissed. Is that not right? I mean, yeah, correct. Uh, they're all tied to Riley contractually. Gotcha. So if he gets fired, they get fired. I have a feeling, you know, because there are some good coaches on that staff, I have a feeling that Frost will likely have, you know, the ability to retain whoever he would want off of that staff, be it Keith Williams, Dante Williams, John Perella, which et cetera. we we've talked about, um, you know who who he might retain if if given the option, um, and the uh, Williams and Williams, uh, or what was it Money Inc. or something like that? They does that sound accurate as far as what what they were? Oh, the law, the law firm, the law firm. Thank you, um, but we. We know who's not coming back. Our old, yeah. our old old line coach friend, Mr. Mike Cavanaugh, because not only did he leave uh, on Saturday with his uh, box of belongings, uh, I believe he peeled out of there. Yeah, I mean, wow, that's. Uh, the, I, I, the, I, you know, I don't mean to laugh because again, getting fired sucks. You know, which we'll touch on, but it's just kind of. Uh, it's just kind of, it's humorous because I'm, I'm not gonna lie. I'd be tempted to do the same thing. My you know, just peel out of there does, and and I want to follow up on that in a moment. But does the way that he left without saying a word by peeling out does that not reek, uh, or, or to you does that not reek of a guy who uh, refuses to, you know, find any fault in himself or in his you know, and any, you know, what I'm trying to say, like that's a guy yeah. who who felt like any culpability well, of his own, right? Yeah, any, yeah, accountability. Yeah, I, I, it's interesting you bring that up because, uh, especially with how kind of defiant he was in, you know, with the media at times this season, you know, just you know, even more gruff and short and brisk than he normally was. Um, yeah, it's. I, I think so. I, I would have to agree with you on that one, Greg. Just kind of not, not a lot of introspection there. It it almost seemed like, you know, had any, and I don't know if any of the reporters tried getting a, a quote from him or anything like that, but he looked, based on that one picture that we saw and 
or at least that I saw, and the report of him, you know, uh, peeling out of there, that he was like a a frog's hair away from taking his free hand and flipping the bird. You know, like just mm-hmm. I don't know so, something about that kind of confirmed everything that I had kind of imagined about Mike Cavanaugh. You know, there's a guy who who doesn't really want to grow, doesn't want to really learn, and doesn't want to, uh, you know, shoulder any any of the burden of, of accountability for mm-hmm. what was... Right, exactly, which, you know, unfortunately for, you know, like the, the running backs and, and the quarterbacks that, you know, played behind them, the numbers fall mostly on them, but it was largely an underperforming offensive line that caused a lot of those problems, which, if you go back a few episodes, we detail at length the woes of the offensive line. So I encourage you to go back in the archives uh, a few uh, episodes to find all the O-line talk. Um, but you, you mentioned uh, very briefly there that if you were in a similar situation, you may have reacted the same way. So brings me to the, the question of, have you ever been fired from a job, Hoss? I have. Okay. I have. Are, are you comfortable talking about it, or is it, you know, like, you've, you've got a, a non-disclosure agreement that, that you're not allowed to, to speak about it, uh, uh, statute of limitations, things like that? Ah, uh, no, no, uh, no NDAs or statute of <laughs> limitations. You know, I was working for, when I was back around 19, 20 years old, I was working for a body shop, you know, here in town locally, and, you know, I, I thought I was doing a decent job, you know. Maybe I could use a little bit of introspection there. But, um, yeah, at the end of the day, I could all, I could tell it was kind of going to happen because people started kind of acting a little differently towards me that day. And then, sure enough, at the end of the day, I was called in the office and let go. They got a full eight hours out of me on a Friday, you know, before, um, you know, let me go. But it sucks, you know. You just, afterwards, you kind of, you know, you're not a reject of society, but you sure as hell feel like one at that point. I, I've i got to share this because I know that I'm to blame. And I, I've known from the beginning that I was to blame. Uh, it's well documented that, you know, in August of 2003, I left my small town, Ill, uh, you know, Illinois, my small Illinois town. That makes more sense to go to a slightly larger but relatively small Nebraska town. That's when I got my job out in Shadron. Was out there for three years and three months. And at the end of November, beginning of December, I left there and moved to Cape Girardeau, Missouri, where I took on the sports director position for a, a cluster of stations. Uh, it was about six stations in that building, uh, and there were others. You know, down in Sykeston, Missouri, things like that. Aside from doing, at the time, basketball play-by-play, I also was responsible for the morning news on five or six stations, and I had to voice them, you know, voice track them on at least four stations and get them all ready to go. That required me to be there at 4 o'clock in the morning. My hours were 4 to 1. A little lunch break in there. But I wasn't on air the whole time. I was on air from 5 to 9, and then I was doing other things, other tasks. 
it was one of those where even if I finished my work early, I couldn't go. Like, I just had to find more stuff to do or be given busy work. And at the same time, I was also calling basketball games. So I'd be out late calling ball games and then up early the next morning. And that worked okay through basketball season. And then I said, hey, you know, what if we got, what if we sold some sponsorships and, you know, now we're into high school baseball season? What do you think about that? No, we don't really want to do that. Okay, now you're taking money out of my pocket. But anyway, it was late April and into early May. And this is where I know that I'm to blame because one of the things about being there at four o'clock in the morning, being the first one there, we had another morning uh, personality on another station who got there at five and a third uh, person came in at six. Well, the six o'clock person had their own key. The five o'clock person did not. So they relied on the four o'clock person, AKA me to be there, unlock the building and so they can come in and do their stuff. Well, two mornings in a row, somebody overslept. And that somebody was me. And so it was a Tuesday morning, and I had done the on-air stuff, and I was down in the basement programming music for, you know, it was a classic rock station, so it was, you know, your ACDCs and your Aerosmiths and your Kiss and things like that. And I'm programming music, and... The program director comes down and he says, Hey, man, you got, you come up to the conference room. We want to have a talk with you. I said, Okay. And they said, We got to let you go. We like you. You sound good on the, on the air. We just can't depend on you. We can't rely on you. I said, I understand. Said my goodbyes. And I was, let's see, if this was 2007 at the time, so I was not quite 25, uh, said my goodbyes, went home. To my little apartment and I, I never got into like a sleep schedule of let's go to bed at seven so we can get up at three and never did that that night I was up well past midnight playing video games watching movies being normal again so yeah it sucked it sucked being fired and uh, uh you know I've, I've been doing my best to make sure I don't get fired ever again but yeah that's basically you know it took I've always joked around that some people learn by reading. Some people learn by, you know, hearing, you know, auditory visual learners. I have to go take a piss on an electric fence to learn for myself. <laughs> I have to learn things the hard way. Uh-huh. So, uh, yeah, that moment was one of those things. I, I learned it the hard way. and uh, It hasn't happened since. <laughs> it, that was the weirdest thing because I, I tried using some of my contacts at that radio station to try to get a job at the station across town. Um, and they didn't hire me. I, you know, as at the time, like I said, I didn't want to have to move back home. You know, I didn't want to be not quite 25 and, you know, already, you know, I can't, I can't make, emulate a knocking on the door sound. But anyway, um, I, you know, applied at targets and best buy and, and anywhere just so that I could keep working, keep my independence. And that didn't work. Never got a call back. And eventually, you know, called my landlord, got out of my lease, packed up, you know, a U-Haul and stayed with my mom and dad for a month before I started my uh, final radio destination over in Salem, Illinois. Um, that was a long month, man. When you've been out for on your own for a few years and you've tasted independence and now you got to go live back under your mom and dad's roof, um, 
That was a long month. Yeah, to kind of tie it back to the, you know, the coaching, you know, the change of coaching regimes, uh, I just kind of feel like with, you know, aside from some coaches on staff, I don't think that all of them were bad coaches. No. Uh, Fit is very important, obviously. But one of the things that stood out to me was, like you were saying about Mike Kavanaugh, his uh, unwillingness to grow as a coach, you know, honestly just admit that he'd been wrong about some things. There, There's kind of a um, – there's an opportunity for some growth from some of those guys. Like for a guy like Bob Diaco, I think it would be important for a guy like him to take a year off coaching, study some scheme, you know, of other teams. And honestly, from the way he sounded – you know, later in the year, talking to the media, I think it'd probably be good for the guy's mental health sure. to take a year off coaching. You know, because I had heard some things about how he, the UConn job, had taken quite a toll on him, and uh, that you know he, he just probably shouldn't have jumped right back into it with get, you know getting the position here. So I think there's always the opportunity for guys like him, or you know. Um, Danny Langsdorf needs to continue to grow as a play caller. I think he's a good quarterbacks coach, but he needs to grow as a play caller. Um, Reggie Davis, great technical tailbacks coach, but needs to grow as a recruiter. So, you know, hopefully those guys can uh, learn from the experience like both you and I have learned from uh, getting fired from jobs. Who would, and, and I'm not, this is a weird, I can't, I can't ask the question without, uh, you know, they say in one of the many podcasts I listen to, there's a phrase they like to use, you know, you don't have to curse uh, the darkness to, to raise the sunlight or something like that. You don't have to you don't have to put one down to raise another one up. But who would you say of the assistant coaches, if you had to pick one to, to carry over to the new administration or the new regime who would who would that be who would be the one that you thought performed the best that you would want on the new staff i'd probably have to say uh keith williams that's what i was gonna say too from the standpoint how he coaches his receivers you know and uh his recruiting ability i think that he would be the one um dante williams as a close second i know the corners struggled this year but a lot, most of that, if not all of that, was a function of Diaco's scheme, not, you know, William Dante's coaching of the corners and his ability as a recruiter as well. Because to win at Nebraska, you got to have recruiters. You got to be able to recruit and uh, bring in. You're not going to sign, you know, number one ranked recruiting classes in the country every year, but I think you can compete for classes in the five to 15 range. Every year, I think that's a pretty reasonable expectation, and so you got to have recruiters with you know the name recognition of Keith and Dante Williams on your staff. What we don't we haven't talked a whole lot about re- recruiting on this podcast uh, in really a couple of months now, um, and, and I'll be honest with you, you know BT was always our recruiting guy, uh, so that uh, aside from. And, and it's it's I don't know awkward or uncomfortable like how how long after the fact can you bring him up anyway um, since he passed you know we 
coordination as a whole have been down on you know keeping up up on the recruiting boards and things like that but so we haven't really talked about it but i know we've lost bookie as far as decommit i don't know where joshua moore stands certainly don't know where micah parsons stands um new coach has some his work cut out for him because he's only going to have a couple of weeks before this early signing period and man that's whoever it is and i know most of the signs point to a a chilly winter perhaps even frosty um but whoever it is has to you know hit the ground running do what he can to salvage you know the the class that's here maybe try to get bookie back you know see where joshua moore stands um you know and see who he can get signed by christmas i mean that's that's going to be the the first step in and at the same time I've, i thought it was a very interesting tweet from stanley morgan jr who uh by the way on on in the game last friday set a you know season record uh for passing or i should say receiving yards uh passing up a, a husker legend uh to do so and he made the comment of like, you know, I understand it's a business decision. Maybe it's time for me to start thinking about my own business decisions. Um, his, honestly, his NFL draft stock may never be higher, but what could it be in in a new system with uh, perhaps, you know, the same quarterback, but maybe a more cohesive offensive game plan, if that makes any sense. You know, I think that it would probably benefit him to stay around, stick around for another year, just from another year of working with Keith Williams. If Williams were to be retained, um, just to refine his, you know, route running and technique even further. Um, as far as it goes in Frost's offense, speculatively, of course, um, he's going to have a lot of opportunities to catch deep, deep balls, you know, on rail routes and, you know, some of the post-dig routes, combo, route combos that Frost uses in his offense, um, that kind of an air raid type passing game attached to, you know, the play action passes that are set up off of establishing the run. So I think it would probably be in his best interest to stick around for another year, refine the um, his technique even further, and then uh, break a 1,000 yards. That's just one you know, underclassmen who, I mean, what, what kind of attrition could we be looking at after, you know, after the, the dismissal of Mike Riley and, and the bulk of his staff, at least, you know, for, for now, what we know of is everybody, but Trent Bray, what, what, I mean, guys look to transfer. I mean, who, if you had to pick out a few household names, Anybody that, that you could think of that's like, well, he's going to be gone? Uh, you know, I don't really see anyone that you can point to and say he's going to be gone, with maybe the exception of Lee going pro just because he doesn't necessarily fit, you know, a Scott Frost offense. Um, of course, Frost could modify that to throw RPOs a little bit more than, you know, running zone read and you know, stuff off the zone read. But I think that um, Lee would probably be the most likely candidate that he would, you know, go to the, you know, declare for the NFL. I don't see him transferring. 
you know, be his third school, you know, in his college career. So I think that option's off the tail. But other than that, I've been really impressed kind of reading, you know, tweets of players, you know, their reaction to Riley's, you know, firing and, um, you know, reading what Trent Bray had to say to the team upon taking over as the interim head coach. There's just a lot of, um, there's just a lot of, you know, encouraging signs, especially when you contrast it with the reaction of guys when Pelini was fired three years ago today. Right. With Because he was named interim, does that lean a little bit more confidence for Bray being retained, or is that going to be a judgment call from the, the new head coach? I think that'll be a judgment call from the new head coach, but it is, it is curious, you know, about the way that went down, you know, to name um, Bray the interim. And I, I bet, you know, Bray will get every opportunity to likely, you know, interview for a position on Frost's staff. I, I just want to say as well, you know, I'm really impressed with Bray, you know, and talking with like Sam McEwen in the, you know, for his World Herald article, Bray saying to McEwen about how when they took over for Pelini, Pelini didn't have, you know, any files to hand over on recruiting, you know, nothing, you know. Um, so they were building their recruiting, not, you know, they didn't have anything about guys who were interested, guys who were committed, no information about that. So Riley had to build the recruiting board, the recruiting apparatus from scratch, from the ground up, you know. And Bray has said that, you know, he's going to make it a point to hand over all that information to the new staff. So I'm just, you know, really impressed with the, uh, uh, what's the word, the collegiality of this. And and that, again, goes to show, and obviously Riley was brought in, more, it wasn't because of his on-the-field success. It had to be because he was a polar opposite to Bo Pelini, uh, and that anecdote, you know, even though it is anecdotal evidence, it that speaks volumes to the difference between the two men. What you said more towards the top of the uh, show, or at least twenty minutes ago, something like that, about how uh, Riley was at the uh, men's hoops game against Boston College. Bo Pelini was already out of the state four days after he was fired. I. You know, they, he didn't waste any time, or at least you know that—that's the perception. Uh, so the fact that Mike Riley, like you said before, you know, ten, fifteen years from now, after Nebraska's won a national championship, they're going to look at Mike Riley, and yeah, maybe his on-the-field stuff didn't have the success that we all hoped it would have, but he was able to fix, you know, right some of those cultural wrongs and, and some of that toxicity that uh, Pelini had that us-versus-them mentality uh, because I believe the players when they play, you know, when P.O.B. said, you know, we play for the state of Nebraska, you know, I, I believe them when they, you know, the the statements made about you know coming from Florida or California or wherever, a couple thousand miles from home, and, and they wouldn't do that if they didn't want to be here. I believe all that, and so I don't think that's – you know, a statement or a sentiment that you would have gotten from a Bo Pelini player uh, as much. And so I will forever, you know, have gratitude for Mike Riley because he 
made he he changed the perception of of Nebraska football and you know made it much more of a community and and I think uh, the the program is better for it even if the record doesn't indicate that uh, you know and and obviously nineteen and nineteen is not going to get you very far at Nebraska and I I understand that but it's it's some of the uh, intangible uh, things that that Riley did or, or the way he led uh, the team uh, going back to uh, you know 2016 and I I'm not saying that Bo Pelini would have handled it anything different but the Sam Fultz tragedy uh, you know Mike Riley was man he was a stalwart and and uh, not just that but the, the Michael Rose Ivy. Uh, Muhammad Barry and, and for the life of me I can't remember the third player now but I know those Deshaun two Neal. thank you uh, I, you know they went to the team first they went to Mike Riley first I mean they, he handled everything I thought so well and, and is such a professional that, that you can't you, yeah you might have wanted to see some more uh, emotion from him at times on the field but I, I've got no record wins and losses aside. I've got no complaints with the man, and, and like you said, I think ten, fifteen years from now, uh, the Mike Riley tenure, as short and perhaps tumultuous as it was, will be looked at as a turning point uh, for Nebraska football. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I think it'll be, you know, people realize that he set the table for you know uh, the incoming staff that. You know, especially if Nebraska is able to, you know, let's just say it's Scott Frost, because I think that's the prudent thing to say at this point. Um, he comes in and, you know, maybe he gets this thing fully operational in, by year three. You know, people are going to look back on and say, yeah, you know, a lot of that was due to the talent influx and the, you know, program, you know, rebuild of the culture that Riley did. So, yeah, I, I just think that um, – it just can never translate onto the field, but there, the other aspects of running a program were well attended to. Is there a place in Lincoln somewhere on that staff or somewhere in the administration for a Mike Riley? I'm not saying he yeah. would want it. I, I mean, it would be a little awkward like, yeah, well, you know, you weren't good enough to, uh, you know, head coach the program. But you look at somebody like Ron Zook who was, you know, did all right at Illinois but was – far better known as being a recruiter is there is there a role like that for mike riley with nebraska or is he heading back to the northwest you know normally i think ultimately i don't think that there's a role like that for any fired football coach but i think if anyone were to be able to pull that off it'd be mike riley you know just the kind of person that he is Mm -hmm. Um, but I think he's heading back to the Northwest. And, and again, no qualms with that uh, for his time here. I, I, I think he was a terrific ambassador um, and did, did a lot of good. And as we close the chapter on you know, Mike Riley, we can now start writing a new chapter for uh, – the new head coach, and I know you said to be prudent just to put the name out there. Um, and I'm 93% because I like arbitrary numbers. I'm 93% uh, sure that that's going to be the case. But there's still that, 
that nagging feeling in the back, you know, that's like, maybe it's not. Maybe there's a swerve coming. Um, if there was a swerve coming, and we know it's not going to be Matt Campbell because he was just handsomely rewarded by Iowa State uh, this past week, and kudos to him. Um, if there's a swerve coming and it's not going to be a frosty, you know, what was it, that game day sign we talked about, 100% chance of frost, uh, who would who would you like it to be? If it couldn't well, be, if, if you if you can't get plan A, you know, I would I would say still, you know, Gary Patterson from TCU. But I'll, in the sake of this discussion, I'll throw out a throw out one that I haven't said. Chris Kleeman from North Dakota State. Well, there you go. I honestly you know, I thought you were going to go with uh, Justin Fuentes, but I, well, him too, you know. And then you know, I'd even say like I'm a big Jimbo Fisher fan too from Florida State. Mm-hmm. I'd take him, you know. What but, is uh, yeah, Kleeman? I'd, I'd go with Kleeman. What is the apparent, and I don't know if, if you followed this situation uh, at all, but what is the apparent disconnect between Fisher and, and Florida State? Is it because he hasn't won the big one, or didn't he win the big one? Well, he won, yeah, he won a national title in 2013, played for the college football playoff in 14, uh, won, you know, won the Orange Bowl last year against Michigan. This year he just had you know rough luck with, Francois getting hurt right. in the first game against Bama, but they've also kind of gotten sick of you know his flirtation with LSU two years in a row. Gotcha. You know, fifteen when they were bluffing on firing Miles, and then last year when they did fire Miles and ended up hiring Orger on. So like FSU kind of called his bluff, I guess. That's just a very unique uh, situation, and and I'm not saying he wouldn't do well at Nebraska. I don't know. What? Uh, the last time, well, I guess it'd be interesting. I, I was going to say I don't know the last time a, a head coach from Florida has come up to Nebraska. Uh, <laughs> now we got a potential, you know, it, it could be either one of them. Um, There'll be a precedent set. So to make sure that this is not a three-hour episode, um, and, and since we've closed the book on Riley, since as of right now we don't know who the next head football coach is going to be, Seems like it's as good a stopping point as any, um, except for Nebraska balls not playing horribly. Uh, so eventually, I'm gonna have to get uh, one of those Nebraska ball guys on here to to talk about the team because we haven't done that yet. Uh, the volleyball team was stunned by a very disappointing uh, seeding for the national tournament. Uh, make sure that you head over to Coronation.com, folks, and, and uh, read ties right up on that because they're number two seed behind Kentucky even though Nebraska has more big wins and fewer big losses somehow they're going to be going to Kentucky doesn't make any sense to me but that just means that Nebraska gets to be looked at perhaps get that underdog label I doubt it's going to happen though because they are still like the fifth ranked team in the country something like that um Mm -hmm. And other than that, I, you know, I, women's basketball started up, but unfortunately I haven't been following that. I've uh, got to have to blame Jill for not keeping me posted on on all the Husker women's basketball action. But, Haas, uh, any, any final thoughts that you have heading into the weekend? It's going to be um, interesting, to say the least. Not really. I mean, probably going to get a jump while I watch the – 
UCF Memphis Conference Championship game on Saturday. Maybe Saturday night I'll get even further along and watching some UCF tape so I'm adequately prepared, you know, going into, you know, year three of writing for Corn Nation. And, uh, yeah, that'll give me a nice off-season hop. Well, not a hobby because I'll do it regardless. But, <laughs> you know, it'll give me some nice ways to fill the time. Do you think that if UCF wins the AAC championship that in his post-game uh, press conference, Scott Frost comes to the podium wearing a Nebraska hat. I mean, that'd be that'd be some next level stuff, you know, <laughs> just excellent. But here's the thing: I, I think I, probably not. No, yeah, I can't see him doing that. Um, he would have to. I mean, there's no there's no scenario that would let him. You know, if they win, that would let him stick around to a New Year's Six Bowl. I mean, they can't do it with with because of the. Largely because of the early signing period for you know National Signing Day or rec- recruiting, there's no scenario that would let him play that game, correct, or coach that game. Yeah, I recruiting, like you said, the early signing period too important to let him um, let him coach in the bowl game, and that's Just, a shame. It, you know, it is, and I've thought of it. You know, the discussion got or the question got posed to me by a friend of mine last week. You know, what if he will only take the job if he can coach the bowl game? You tell him no and you move along. Just you you can't you, you can't, can't risk, you, you know, losing right. out. You can't put your program on hold. Um yeah. and and again, we don't know. Um but at the end of the day, Nebraska is more important to us than UCF. Um and Nebraska, you know, um uh, in the movie Miracle uh, obviously, the the story of the 1980 Olympic U.S. hockey team. Uh, Herb Brooks, Kurt Russell says, uh, you know, the the name on the front of the jersey is a hell of a lot more important than the name on the back. Uh, same situation here, uh, Nebraska. The, the football team is greater than the sum of all its parts, and the program is, you know, it has to move forward. So we have to get that head coach in place to, uh, you know, try to salvage this early signing period. We'll see what the weekend has in store for it, and I don't know how we're going to. Uh, I know how I'm going to get out of the show, but what you don't have a win the damn game to say anymore because there's no game. What are you going to? Oh, do? I got something in mind. <laughs> okay, well in that case, let's get out of here. Uh, thank you all so much for listening. Rate and review on iTunes. Uh, remember that if you subscribe via iTunes, you're going to get this episode just mere hours before it drops on coordination.com. And if you favorite jitterymonkey.com and listen to it that way, you get it several hours before. It's all technical. It has to run through the, I don't know, moderators in podcast land, whatever. Uh, But anyway, iTunes, Stitcher, coronation.com, jitterymonkey.com, and we have uh, new episodes every week. We're going to do our best to sustain that, um, and we look forward to... You know, just doing our best to keep you entertained and informed. Mostly entertained. I don't know. Yeah, Hoss brings the information. We both bring the entertainment. I don't bring a whole lot to the show. I just kind of do the technical stuff. I, I'm kind of useless in that way. But um, I enjoy it. Uh, I was waiting for Hoss to say, "No, man, you're 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 oh. an important dynamic uh, aspect of this." No, show. man, you're, you're the facilitator <laughs> of this thing. It's all on you. This is, you know, asking you for a compliment damn near like asking my wife you know it's like how was dinner tonight honey it was good 
Like, okay, you can say that before. I, I don't have to prompt you for a compliment. No, I'm kidding. Um, I, I'm not working through shit or anything. All right, let's get out of here. Uh, my name is Greg Mahachko. That's Hoss Reuter. He is at Hoss Reuter on Twitter. I am at thehooch36. And, of course, uh, the Five Heart Podcast is the number five heart podcast on Twitter. Five written out hard podcast on uh, on Facebook. So throw us a social media like, follow, whatever you got to do. Uh, and remember... This week and every week, we tell you that Five Heart is all the heart you need. Go Big Red. Win the damn off season. <laughs> well played. And it starts this weekend. Yeah, such, such just depressing. <laughs> no, like, you were getting a new coach. It's, you know, still like, man, I wish there was one more opportunity to watch Nebraska play this year. I actually had the, the random thought of, and this would be YouTube. Or something like that, probably. But going back and watching those early, you know, championship games, if they're on there, you know, like the national championship games uh, or bowl games that solidified like the championships in the Devaney years, just to go mm-hmm. back and watch football from that era. Because I don't really know, aside from a few little highlight clips here and there, I don't know if I've ever done that. So it might be. Fun. You know, I, this past off season, I started getting on YouTube. You know. And finding, like, the Husker football archives on there and just starting, you know, working through each national championship season. And I've, and I've gotten through, you know, the championship years, but I've also found some, like, some nice gems of games, you know, here or there from non-championship years, you know. Like, uh, 92 Oklahoma, you know, we, we kicked their ass something like 33-7. to 7. It was a really fun game to watch, you know. It was just dominating and. So that's what I do. Like, and then I got up to 2004, and I was watching Callahan's first year, and I realized that if I would have been 27 years old back in 2004, with you know the football knowledge I have now, I probably would have had a massive aneurysm during 2004 because it just looked totally discombobulated. And if you are, uh, I don't want to. I don't mean this to um, denigrate our our distinguished. Uh, friends, but if you are wanting more Husker uh, football goodness uh, throughout the off season, can't recommend uh, this documentary called "Through These Gates." Enough. Go to huskerfilm.com, and uh, it's actually uh, directed uh, by uh, Ryan Tweedy of the Big Red Cobcast. So uh, make sure you check that out. That's definitely going on my Christmas list this year. I think I've put it off long enough. It's going on. It's got an 8.8 rating out of 10 on IMDb and a 4.9 out of 5 on iTunes Apple where you can uh, watch it there. So anyway, make sure that you go to huskerfilm.com for more. And uh, uh, always appreciate Tweety uh, throwing the plugs out. And he said some nice th- nice things about us in the Slack chat room earlier. So I said, why not? We'll throw him a, throw him a huskerfilm.com plug on the Five Heart Podcast. We're... We're still rolling, folks, but we're getting out of here. And since we're already winning the damn offseason, we're just going to. This is a production of the Jittery Monkey Podcast Network. For more jittery shenanigans, go to jitterymonkey.com. Jittery Monkey.